we're going to look uh, at the, the theme and the subject today of uh, the mission of God as it's uh, expressed in the whole concept of the kingdom. Uh, and look at that uh, this morning and also, we hope, uh, next week as well. Because I think for some of us, at various points, probably for all of us, at various points in our lives, we have a lot of different questions about our Christian lives and Christian faith. You know, if Jesus is the king, why is my, lo- my life so tough? If I'm rescued by the Lord God, why is it that I feel so often like I'm drowning? That I'm struggling in my Christian life? That so many things are going wrong? That it doesn't seem to be that Jesus is king of his kingdom and that I am one of his citizens. Why is it when I look at scripture, it's dull or dry or difficult to understand? Why, when I look around at other Christians, is it that their lives seem so, or their, their faith seems so um, balanced and strong and together, and I don't have that, that reality, that uh, feeling in my Christian heart? I feel different from them. I don't feel that I am a strong Christian. And it may be, it may be throw, thrown into the mix, maybe issues of uh, injustice in the world in which we live. The fact that we read the news or we hear about political realities and uh, um, wars and rumors of wars, and we think, well, it doesn't seem like Jesus is in control. It doesn't seem like he's sovereign. It doesn't seem like he is... Uh, enthroned on heaven and uh, bringing uh, all things under his dominion. It just simply doesn't feel like that. And so I do believe that many of us at different points in our lives struggle with the reality of our Christian faith. It's that Jesus Christ doesn't feel real. The everyday ordinary things of life feel much more real, much more uh, in my face, much more uh, immediate. And I think part of that is that we misunderstand or fail to appreciate uh, what the Bible teaches about Christ's reign and the kingdom of God. I think it's absolutely okay to think like that as long as we take it to God in prayer, as long as we deal with it and wrestle through it. God knows that. And one of the great things about the Bible for us to remind ourselves of is that the Bible deals with these issues. The truth of God's word faces up to this. We don't have something that's sickly sweet in Scripture, which might often uh, uh, be what possibly this time of year becomes a little bit sentimental and sweet for us in our understanding of Jesus Christ and and of the nature of salvation. But the Bible is absolutely black and white and clear and uh, um, wants to make known to us that God in his word understands and God reveals his truth to us and shows us that you are right in these wrestles and you're right having these battles and you're right taking them to God and recognizing your need of God through them because that is the day and the generation in which we live. So I want to look this morning a little bit at God's kingdom as we have it uh, in the Bible and uh, the fact that Jesus ushered in God's kingdom. We've been looking at the Old Testament. We've been looking at the coming of Jesus. We've been looking at the death and resurrection of Jesus and the, the teaching of the church. Uh, And we recognize that the the coming of Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God in a very powerful way. 
And that is very much the focus of the Old Testament. There's a couple of texts from the Old Testament, one from Isaiah chapter 9, uh, which is well known at this time of Advent for us. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, we have these words, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms, bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Really? Really? Is that what Jesus ushered in? Is that the kingdom that he ushered in? Is is that prophecy fulfilled in Jesus? Do we see all nations subject to Jesus Christ and his rule? And as we look at that, we think, well, that isn't the case. And we, we sometimes will struggle with that. But I think what is clear from the Old Testament, I'll go and say a little bit more about that, but also from what Jesus teaches uh, about the kingdom of God, it's, not, it's never what we expect. It's never quite as clinical or as clear-cut as we expect it to be, the reign of Jesus and uh, the rule of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, you have a whole lot of parables that Jesus tells, and they're all about the kingdom. They're all about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and they're simply not what the disciples expected. The disciples were looking for Jesus to come and, and reign on an earthly throne. And Jesus tells them all these random parables uh, that, that reveal that his kingdom is very different and is quite mysterious to what they expected. He talks about the sower, that the seed will be sown and it will, it will spread in lots of different uh, ground. And uh, many people in, uh, during the coming of this kingdom will be unmoved and untouched by the lordship of Jesus and will not follow him, and will not be redeemed, and will not be brought back. He also mentions the parable of the wheat and the tares, that until uh, judgment day, that in his kingdom, good and evil will grow up together. And uh, there will be this kind of um, reality, that his rule will not be evident to all. And he speaks about the mustard seed, that tiny little seed that grows uh, unnoticed and and quietly grows into a big tree, almost unseen, and speaks of the kingdom in these terms, underground, unnoticed, small, insignificant, apparently not a great big oak tree. And then another time he speaks of the kingdom and and, uh, uh, speaks in Nicodemus, who was also asking about the kingdom of God, and he says that uh, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And he brings in this mysterious kind of spiritual element of rebirth, of renewal, of of something personal, of some heart change that ushers in the kingdom of God. And so we see from, and and variously and and elsewhere, the teaching of of the New Testament and the teaching of Jesus is already reminding us that the kingdom of God isn't exactly what necessarily we expect it to be. But what the teaching of the New Testament is clear about is that the kingdom of God has arrived and also is arriving and even will arrive. Okay, so you've got that. that uh, the, these elements within the teaching of the new kingdom is that Jesus has been and uh, Jesus has risen but has left us with uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus is coming back. 
So there are different elements to the kingdom in the New Testament that helps us to understand the teaching of the Bible and understand why we struggle and battle in our lives and what Christ wants us to do about that and how he wants us to overcome that. Jesus has been, we know that, we know that the kingdom of God has been ushered in, that he has died on the cross for our sins and he rose in the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father and heaven, ushering in his kingdom. He has paid the price He has defeated the power of sin and death. He has risen. His kingdom is established. And the world in which we live is different. Post-Calvary, pre-Calvary, the world is hugely different. It's not only different spiritually, but it has been massively changed by the coming of Jesus Christ and by the millions of people whose lives have been turned upside down, uh, who have been converted to Jesus Christ and who have changed this world in which we live. And we as believers, having uh, come to know Jesus Christ, know the righteous life. We know that we are covered in what Jesus has done. The price has already been paid. Jesus says it's finished for us. That we uh, have been taken from darkness to light, from death to life. That we have the Holy Spirit gifted to us. And we can transform, be transformed and be in transforming communities because of what Jesus has done for us. That has all happened. His kingdom has come at that level in your life and in my life and in our church. And in every church, his kingdom has come. But yet, Jesus, he also says, is coming back. Jesus is returning. This is clearly New Testament uh, perspective. John chapter 3, John chapter 14 and verse 3 And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's lots of texts that speak of Jesus coming back. Kind of unpopular to speak, or I don't think we think about it or speak about it nearly as much as maybe uh, used to be the case. But we know that the kingdom at that level has not yet come. The kingdom has arrived, but the kingdom has not yet come. The victory of Jesus, in other words, is not yet fully realized and uh, revealed to us. So we, in, common, in common terms, we put it that evil has been defeated on the cross. Satan and death and its power has been broken on the cross, but it is not yet destroyed. There is a future when God will subsume and take all the power of darkness and evil and it will be utterly uh, expunged from the universe uh, as the new heavens and the new earth, uh, which is the home of righteousness, will be our home. And Corey, God willing, next Sunday morning, will speak about that second element of the kingdom of God, which is still to come. But can we maybe put it this way, and this is a rather imperfect illustration, but maybe will help us a little bit. Uh, when D-Day happened, and we, we celebrate and remember these things at different times, uh, when D-Day happened on June 1944, that in many ways was the, uh, the great marking of the defeat of uh, uh, the, the imperial forces. And it was uh, the beginning of victory, the pushing back by the allied forces of the enemy. But it wasn't until June 1945 that VE Day was declared uh, over a year later. And there's a a kind of similarity there. Don't take it too far. It's only an illustration uh, where uh, there was a, a tremendous and powerful victory on the cross 
where evil was defeated, but its ultimate destruction will not be until Jesus Christ returns to usher in his kingdom. The battle was won. The war continues. Uh, It's in its death throes. Satan is thrashing around in his death throes, seeking whom he may devour. And that spiritual element of our lives is made clear uh, scripturally. And Jesus knows that, and he wants us to know that ourselves. So we have another illustration here, which I've used before here, uh, which sometimes helps. um, Because in the Old Testament, you had these texts that we looked at at the beginning, which talked about Messiah coming, Jesus coming, and government will be on his shoulders, and all the nations will bow down to him. And I had this amazing kind of picture of the lordship and the kingship of of the Messiah who would come. And it seems just too great uh, for us because we don't see that. And a good illustration of that is like if you're climbing... um, uh, I wouldn't use this illustration with Graham Thompson. If you're climbing a a hill that's, uh, that's really, you know... Well, not, not dangerous, but if it's a biggish kind of hill, my technical knowledge of mountaineering, a biggish kind of hill, and you're, you can see the, the peak of that mountain. Yeah, that's what you're going to, we'll call it a Monroe. Okay, it's got a mountain over 3,000 feet, and that's what you're going to, you're going to climb that Monroe today. And it's quite a long walk in, and you, you walk into the uh, hill, and you climb, and you get to the top of the Monroe. But there's actually two Monroes that you've been wanting to climb. And when you were at the bottom, they both looked absolutely just beside each other. And you thought, I'll just climb the first Monroe, and I'll just jump up a bit, and that'll be the second Monroe. But when you get to the top of the first Monroe, there's a huge glen and a long distance before the second one. You know, it's, it's visual foreshortening. So that from a distance, they look like they're just dead, dead close. But when you actually get to the one, there's a great, quite a great distance to the other. Very soul-destroying if you're a climber. When you think you can climb uh, two or three peaks in one day, and it maybe wouldn't happen. So I'm told. Uh, but, and that gives us a picture of, of, in the Old Testament, they looked forward. And almost always in the Old Testament, the, the kingdom of God is seen as one great event. And yet, as uh, history and time unfolds, and as the teaching of the New Testament unfolds, we recognize it as two events with Jesus' first coming and his second coming with a time in between. Uh, And that is the time in between uh, which we live. So the old man with the sandwich board that goes around Princess Street saying the end is nigh should really have three saying the end has actually come. The end is near, but the end is not yet. So there's that. It's, it's not quite as simplistic sometimes as we think, this kingdom of God, because we recognize that we're in the period between the first and the second coming of Jesus when the battle is won, but there's still war, warish skirmishes as uh, Satan uh, and evil thrashes out uh, its death throes. So for us, what is it like today? What is it like What does the kingdom look like for us when we talk about the kingdom of God? What do we mean by that for us today in our lives and in uh, the world in which we live? Uh, Well, it must mean for us, it it means more than the church. We talk a lot, I talk a lot about the church. The church is very important. The church is the body of Christ. But the kingdom is the rule of God. Okay, the church is is, uh, to witness to the rule of God. The church is the body of Christ. Is the people of Christ. It's the instrument God uses to uh, further his kingdom, but his kingdom is his rule. 
And it's, it's, it's cosmic. It is a great thing. It is the Christ, the, the ascended physical Christ reigning, uh, whatever that looks like physically and in reality, the resurrected Savior. But it's a reminder to us, because very often in our church lives we can be very parochial and very insular in our thinking. And we can think it's just all about us. It's all about my church. It's all about my local church. It's all about my denomination maybe sometimes even. But we need to remind ourselves that we are part of something greater and something bigger that is being ushered in by this resurrected Christ who has been victim. Again, the cross is the core because in that moment he has defeated the power of darkness and death and sin and the grave. So there's this huge universal element uh, to the, uh, our belonging, to the work of God. But there's also something, again, I alluded to it in prayer, there's something intensely personal. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 21, um, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will we say, look, here it is look, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you or is in you, is not only Christ living among them, but is in our own beings as we submit to his lordship and as we submit to, by faith to uh, his uh, salvation in our lives, in our conscience. So you see, there is a distinction between belonging to Jesus by taking him as Lord and even belonging to the church. So we can belong to the church and not be part of the kingdom. We can belong to the church and not be Christ's. So that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone. Not everyone who confessed him as Lord publicly or by declaration, but it will be those whose hearts have been turned and whose wills are molded to his lordship and to his kingship and to his sovereign power. It is that reality of something rather invisible, something glorious and something great, bigger even than the church. If you were, if I was to summarize what it is, I guess it would be the teaching we've looked at a lot through this mission of God. It is God with us. It's God with us. Um, Matthew, I'm not sure if I've got this on the screen. Matthew 28, 20, have I got that up? No, what's the next one? John chapter 14. Okay, John 14. Uh, I will ask the Father, in the upper room, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that really, isn't that, that's the essence and the reality of the kingdom of God. It's the Emmanuel principle. It's the one we speak about so much at this time of year. That Jesus Christ comes to us, comes and lives among us, and becomes one of us, and then redeems us and sends his spirit into our hearts. God with us. The spirit is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So as believers, we always have a future perspective in our lives. And we see that in this chapter in Romans chapter 8. 
finally as he gets to this chapter. Uh, because this chapter and the, the real lives of the people that were being dealt with here needed to know these truths because they were having the same battles and struggles that you and I have in our Christian lives. And so they needed the truth of this kingdom coming, kingdom come, kingdom coming, to comfort them and to remind them that this is God's mission. This is part of God's plan, part of God's purpose. So it's God with us as we wait. See, he says in verse 23 of this chapter, and uh, and, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we've got this knowledge that we are in a waiting room at the moment, in a sense. Not inactive, but a waiting room when there is something better to come. When we, the groaning that we have, the groaning of this universe that we are part of, will one day come to an end and we will have resurrected, glorious, redeemed bodies in this new universe. As we wait, as we wait for his return, I know that the language here is of patience, of groaning. You know, isn't the language? You know, isn't the language of skipping? It's not the language of hoopla. It's it's not the language of uh, unending praise in this life, because of the wonders and glories of of every moment of every day. The realism of the word is is that there's groaning and there's waiting, but of course it's not the end of the story. But that is where our faith comes in, isn't it? That's where our trust comes in. If we get everything we want, if everything is perfect for us, we will never have any need to trust anyone or anything. Because usually we're trusting someone to do something that either we wouldn't do or we're unsure about. That's where trust comes in, doesn't it? And so God, God is saying to us, as we trust him, by faith, because he's already shown us what he's done, and he's going to come back and re- receive us to be with himself. And in the midst of our groaning and battle and warfare, when we're the object of attack, he wants us to trust him, because we're not alone. He is also waiting. We, we wait with him. He is waiting for his. He's waiting because he wants no one to perish, and he is waiting until everything is uh, his plan is perfected and worked out, and we wait with him. And that's a great thing, isn't it? I can imagine the worst thing for Kirsty when uh, she found out that Graham potentially uh, was seriously ill would have been if she was waiting alone. The first thing she said was, "It was good. Either fr- my friends were waiting with me." And that's a great thing when you're stressed or fearful or struggling. And it's not just friends, although friends are very important and and God gives us friends. Uh, He says, I am with you as we wait. And that requires patience. But also as we suffer, you know, the beginning of that section, uh, Paul is speaking to that church in Rome and saying, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that we can't get away from suffering as being a theme of the New Testament for believers. So it's not a surprise. So we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer in our lives because that is clearly 
what God is reminding us about, his kingdom come and his kingdom still coming. It, look, there's, there's never any easy explanations for suffering. We mustn't be trite and uh, uns, unsympathetic and, and lacking empathy or um, holier than thou or smart alecky in the answers we give to people uh, or even the stoicism sometimes with which we uh, suffer because suffer, suffering's bad at that level uh, and it, is, it, is, it will be taken from us. It is temporary. But at the moment in the battleground that we live, it's the air we breathe and Christ is readying us for glory. He's readying us for his, the fullness of his kingdom. Second Corinthians 4, 17 to 18, I think. There's only a couple more after. For our light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see that the, the, the emphasis of the New Testament is always encouraging us to focus on the unseen, not just what we do today and what we do tomorrow and, and what our mortgage is like and what our bank, our, our meal is going to be, all these things are all important. The eternal, the things that are eternal, unseen, and the afflictions we are struggling with are preparing us for something ultimately far greater. And as we suffer in this life, we are to uh, use that suffering to become like Jesus as burden bearers. He, he was a great burden bearer. And often our, we, we implode our suffering into uh, something very personal and something uh, very self-absorbing. And yet he wants us to use our suffering to prepare us to be burden bearers for others who are suffering. So we have empathy and community and grace at work like Christ did. Uh, we, we will suffer because we will be rejected like Christ was uh, we suffer because we have to die to sin and say no to our own pleasures and desires that are sinful because we trust Jesus is right even though sometimes we struggle with that battle of his will and our will but we die to sin because he died on the cross for sin and the difference is he did it alone he resisted temptation alone in uh, the desert. He went to the cross alone on our behalf. We are never in that condition. We're never like Jesus in that way because he says, I am with you in this and I have the victory. The channel of victory through suffering and through waiting and through being alone is in Jesus Christ. And Romans here tells us, therefore, this pain, this suffering uh, is redemptive in the sense that it's, it's life-giving. It's like, and many of the mothers here can associate that. It's, it's like the pain of childbirth uh, that's spoken of here. That it's great pain, but it ushers in life. And so that's a great uh, spiritual philosophy that underpins the suffering that we go through. That it is not negative and it's not random, but it is to bring victory and, and end in, in life for us, not death. So Christ uh, is with us as we suffer and as we wait. And Christ is with this world in which we live. And I think that's a really important emphasis as we draw things to a close here as well. Um, it's a wonderful passage about the, 
the world in which we live that is in bondage to corruption, the, the created universe, it's, it was impacted by our rebellion right from the very beginning. It came under the judgment that was, is our judgment. And yet this world has a glorious, has a glorious environmental future in the coming of Christ as he returns and his mission and his purpose. And I think it's right for us now to seek the good of this creation and, and long for this creation to be redeemed. And the great thing is that because of what Christ has done uh, and our redemption, the world will be drawn in with it. The trees and the mountains and the animals and the fields and the rivers and the seas will all be drawn into this redemption because of Jesus Christ. It was all part of, of the fall, but it will all be part of his redemption as it groans currently and as we recognize that groaning in the world in which we live. It's not easy. And it's not, please never think it's trite. But it's our hope. It is our hope. So can I just in closing reiterate that this passage and the teaching of the New Testament and the, the battles of, of struggling and suffering and waiting are part of the kingdom come, the kingdom coming, and us being in that intermediate place, as it were, where the war has been won, uh, but there are still battles to be faced until he returns, and that he is with us. And this passage here brings that to a conclusion by reminding us he's with us by his spirit. In verse 26, he says that, and he, he, he brings that as comfort to the people. He talks about their, our weaknesses, now, isn't it interesting there in verse 26? He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It doesn't say, Spirit helps us in being mighty men and women of valor. It doesn't help us as we battle and win every victory. It doesn't say it helps us in our great strength. It helps us in our weakness. I take great comfort from that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and it lives in us and empowers us to be victorious. So the... the the strength isn't in our intellect and isn't in our knowledge and isn't in our gifts and isn't in our careers. Our strength is in the Holy Spirit. As we channel weakness to him, we find great strength and great belonging. 1 Corinthians 4, this is the last text today that we look at. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. And he gives us power. That is the victory. That is why we're not alone. That is why the suffering and the battle and the struggle is channeled to Jesus Christ. What is our greatest temptation in suffering and, and struggle? Leave Christ out, isn't it? I'm not going to pray anymore. It doesn't work. It's useless. That's when we need to apply for the recognition of his power and of his victory. Because he is with us not only by his spirit, but he's with us in his love. And that whole last section from verse 31 to verse 39 tells us that we are kept by his love. You know, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's already given us his son, whom he loves, as, as it were, as the, the down payment that he holds us and that he loves us. And this passage speaks of the great uh, and unique and mysterious Trinitarian 
uh, involvement in our salvation or in, in keeping us that the, the Father has given us the Son and uh, the Son is uh, the one who intercedes for us and the Spirit is the one who groans for us <laughs> the Spirit doesn't even need to speak he just groans like we groan because sometimes we can't verbalize the battles that we have and uh, the mission of God is, is uh, there is this Trinitarian uh, desire and commitment to keep us and to renew us so that we can be more than conquerors. That we are more than conquerors in our relationship with him. And he asks us to trust that that is the case, that we can be uh, more than conquerors. So I encourage you today not to give up your Christian life. There is just nothing on the other side. There's nothing outside of him. There's nothing outside of grace. I can encourage you not just to stand still and, as it were, tread water till his second coming. It's not what he wants us to do either. He wants us to be more than conquerors. He wants us to recognize his huge love and power that is extended to us, sealed in his death and resurrection, promised in his return, and all of the battles and struggles in the meantime uh, are subsumed into and under that. And we trust him that he knows what he's doing and he will take us through and make us more than conquerors to his glory. Let's pray briefly uh, as we conclude. Father God, we ask and pray that you would uh, enable us to be strong, that we would uh, be victorious in our lives, and we know often that that in itself will look different to what we sometimes think. We know that sometimes it will be survival. We know that sometimes it will be unseen and unnoticed. But we know uh, that as we rely on you, that we will come through the most remarkable opposition. And indeed, each one of us here today as Christians are a living testimony to the remarkable commitment and uh, determination of Jesus to not let go of us, to save us, to redeem us, to buy us back when we had no interest. And may we understand that great love and live in response with great love and live to bear one another's burdens. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.